Will you pray with me? Searching God, seeking God, infinite God, intimate God. God of the universe and God who is close at hand now. Speak to us. Speak words of clarity. Speak words of confirmation. Give us the gift of courage. Give us grace to respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A colleague of mine has had sitting on his desk until his retirement a little tiny piece of wood about yay long and about that big around. It was made of, uh, of oak. A branch in the parsonage where he lived had to be trimmed. And it was quite large, and he cut it into segments, and he thought he would prove his manliness to his church by splitting that branch into logs for firewood. He thought it would make for a nice, cozy winter. He was living in the San Gabriel Mountain area. And so he went to split this log, and he stuck the axe in, and then he kind of bounced it a little bit, and the axe became stuck in the log, and the log hardened as hard as iron, and he couldn't get the axe to move. And so he went, and he got a wedge, and he put in next to it, and he pounded that in, and then he couldn't get the wedge out. This happened twice more. Then he started using an eight-pound sledgehammer to hit the wedges, and every day for six and a half months, on his way in from the church office to the parsonage, he would pick up that sledgehammer and whack away, and the, and the log just folded its arms across its chest and said, nope. And then the next day, what's the magic word? Um, and he just went on and went on and went on. And then one day, he had a hammer in his hand that he was using for another project, just a little claw hammer. And as he walked by that log, he just went and knocked it once with that little hammer, and the log just split itself open and yielded. And he said, I keep this log on my desk as a story of persistence. If you stay at it long enough, Oh, we love stories of persistence, don't we? Young guy right out of law school goes into business and immediately goes bankrupt, runs for office and is defeated, runs for office again, becomes a congressman, and after one term is voted out because the entire district that he represented was so disgusted with his voting patterns. Ran for the Senate twice, was defeated twice, tried to get on a vice presidential ticket and was left behind. And then in his mid-50s, ran for President of the United States and became our 16th President. Nearly split the Union in two and then held us together and emancipated the slaves and set our country on a path toward healing the deep wound of racism. Abraham Lincoln, a story of failure until he wasn't anymore. Not many years after Lincoln, little kid 
comes home from his very first day at school, four and a half years old, and they sent him to kindergarten, and he came home, he was partially deaf, and he had a note from the teacher, Tommy is not very smart. Please don't send him to the school anymore. And the tiger mom emerged, and she said, she said I will educate him myself. And she did. He went on to become kind of an innovative inventor type. Had an idea that you could create something called the light bulb. And after 4,000 failed attempts to find a filament for his experiment, he found one that succeeded. And Thomas Edison set us on a course of staying up way past our bedtime every night because we have light in the kitchen. A young aspiring artist worked his way across the country to Southern California. All he wanted to do was become an illustrator or a cartoonist for a newspaper. And editor after editor said, you have no talent, you're not very funny, and you're not creative in the least. You have no imagination. And finally, a preacher over on the other side of Los Angeles hired him to do some illustrating for a church newsletter. They stuck him in a shed that was infested with mice out behind the church. And one of these mice ran in, and he drew a little cartoon of the mouse. He called him Mortimer. His wife later renamed the mouse Mickey. He lives about five miles from here. Not the illustrator, the mouse. (laughs) No imagination, they said. No creativity. Walt Disney just put his head down and kept going. We love stories of persistence, don't we? We love to speak of the indomitable spirit of the human being. But every good trait in a human being has its shadow side, you know. Human beings do have an indomitable spirit, and when they have set their heart to sin, Isaiah says that there is no holding them back. You were tired, Isaiah says, with the length of your way. You were weary and you were about to fall exhausted, but you said, I will not give up. And they found new strength for yourself and you kept on going. Indomitability in and of itself is not a good trait or a bad trait. And we do know that every success story is littered with stories of failure Many, many failures. We know this. Motivational speakers take advantage of this. They call it the principle of failing forward. That the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that when they fail, they don't give up and they keep on going. This is the story of people who are successful in business or politics or in some other endeavor related to success in this world. The truth is, so many of the Bible stories are littered with stories of people whom God has called and have failed. But in the Scriptures, the story is not about the indomitability of the human spirit, but the persistence of a God who, after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure, keeps on calling us. These are not tribute stories to the human spirit. 
but to the powerful and persuasive love of God who has never given up on anybody in this room. Not even the one who turns the TV up louder so you can't hear God speaking. Or the one who goes from social event to social event to social event so you can speak to anyone else except to God. Or the one who goes globetrotting and seeking after truths all over the world. Or the one who simply puts her finger in her ears and sings la, 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 hoping that God will stop calling. God never gives up. God's grand vision for the world is littered with God's failures as well as human failures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why in the world people wouldn't run to that news and take hold of it is beyond me. But they don't. Jesus stood overlooking Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. City that stones the prophets, murders the messengers sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather you to me as a, as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you would not. And preacher after preacher after preacher says, let us be the church, let us be the hen, let us spread our wings, and none of them will actually talk to the real issue at the heart of that saying of Jesus, which is, why don't we come to her when she spreads her wings? Why do we run away? Do you have any idea? I, I have a couple of ideas. My mom and dad were good Methodists when they met, and they promptly quit going to church, um, like good Methodists do. Uh, now, actually, they kind of blamed me. They said that I cried all the time in the nursery, and they, they kept getting interrupted in worship to come and get me, and they figured, oh, what the heck, let's just stay home. So I grew up in a home where we prayed and we talked, but we didn't go to church that much. So it bewildered me when I was a fourth or fifth grader, born with a sensitive spirit and a delicate heart, I couldn't abide smashing a spider if it was walking across the rug, but I would scoop it up on a piece of paper and take it outside and put it, put it on a plant. I caught a frog that I wanted to keep as a pet, and I didn't get him to the water in time, and after two or three days, he shriveled up, and I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, dis, I was inconsolable for a day and a half. I was sensitive toward the needs of my friends and everyone else. And my parents said to me, you should, you should probably be a minister one day. And I thought later on, were they trying to get rid of me? Because they never went to church. That is, they never came to Sunday worship. But the truth is, every day was church in my home because the love of God was there. But I can remember as a teenager thinking, the only images I had of clergy were ones that were wearing a collar and Roman, you know, uh, Catholic uh, vestments. They would sing Going My Way or they would do this or they would do that. And I thought, I, don't, I would like to get married and have children. I don't want to be a priest. Then I found out they were Methodists. Now, I was going to be an art teacher. I was going to be a math teacher. I was going to be a high school coach. That's what I was going to be. 
But I can tell you from the earliest days on of the persistence of God. There's still things that I would, I hate to say this publicly, rather be doing sometimes. Except for this, this one theological truth that God keeps calling and God never gives up. And God doesn't select particular people. God calls everyone. You didn't know it. But when you said at your baptism, I do accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and put my whole trust in his grace and promise to live in his church in union with all that God has called of every age and station and race. When you said that, you put God in charge. And the only difference between God and the human taskmaster is that God's love comes to us persuasively rather than coercively. That God has said, I can wait you out. I am eternal. I've been here longer than you. You keep saying no, but eventually you're going to see it the way I see it. Eventually, you're going to hear my call to you. Now, some are called to work in vocations within the church. And some are called to be sent by God into the world to do their work in the world. Powerful work. Mighty work. Just a week ago yesterday, we sat in this sanctuary and listened to the testimony from a former pastor of this church about how Ken Brown was an intentional Christian. And in talking with his daughter after the service, I was saying, I wish I could have known Ken in his younger years because he is the very picture of a Methodist who took everything that he gained and gleaned from God in this place and he walked into the world and he set up a business to be a Christian business. And he set up business relationships to be Christian relationships. He was never going to be an acolyte like you blessed people who acolyte. But he did take the light from you and carry it into the world and become a Christian minister in that place. And he impacted many lives, just as all of you are doing. And some of the callings of God last a lifetime and some of the callings of God are just to walk across the street and hold the hand of somebody who is really deeply hurting in the moment. And sometimes it's just to detour from what we had planned for the day to do a work of grace and of ministry. But God is constantly calling to his church. What are you hearing from God these days? How is God calling you? Have you purposed in your heart to turn down the radio, to lower the volume on the television, to turn off the incandescent light, spend one less hour at Disneyland? Can you make time to be quiet for a moment, take the finger out of the ear, and listen as to what God might be saying? Because I assure you, I promise you, I know God's persistence is ever more powerful than ours. God is calling you.
God is calling you. And God is calling me. And the call changes. And the call goes on. That passage from Isaiah this morning, which sets the stage for all of this, it comes from the middle section of Isaiah, the time after the people of God had been sent into exile, the time after Isaiah had decided, I'm an utter failure. I preached to them. I warned them. I told them, clean up your act. I said, live a righteous life. For God blesses those who do well, and God's going to expel us from the land if we don't repent. And they didn't repent, and they were expelled into the exile. And Isaiah sat there feeling all the while like a failure. And God says, I'm not done yet, Isaiah. <laughs> I'm not done. Isaiah speaks to Israel and says, yes, it's true. Like Jeremiah, I was called from the time before I was born. And God had set me to preach to Israel. And now God is telling me a new word. Listen, Isaiah, your failure has opened a doorway into a whole new region. Listen, all you coastlands. Listen, you mountains. Listen, you corners of the earth. It isn't enough that I should call Israel and Jacob just to bless them for their own sake, but I have set them to become a light to do all the nations. And the remnants of that exile community formed synagogues in the diaspora, in the wilderness, in the far-off regions. And 500 years later, rising up powerfully in the news of the resurrection and the experience of the Holy Spirit, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, the missionary, set out to take the word of God to all the nations and fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah. And what did he find as he went out on his way? His synagogues of believing Jewish communities all through the region where he had been told by God to go. And in every one of those synagogues, he walked in the door, he preached Christ, he came back a second Sabbath and preached Christ again, and they threw him out of the synagogue. And half the synagogue was so moved and curious by what he had said that they followed him out the door, and those people became a church in that place. Listen, could you help me start churches by starting fights? And then whoever comes with us when the fight's over, you could do that, right? You could do that. We used to roll our eyes every time the Baptist church in town would split because a 1,500-member church became two 700-member churches, and a year later there were two 1,500-member churches who split, and then they did it again. I mean, we could do this as Methodists. My point here, my point is, 500 years before the time of Christ. God spoke into Isaiah's heart and what looked like a, a failure to Isaiah was really the cornerstone of the church that you and I would join one day. The foundation stone. See, I am laying in Zion a new cornerstone a precious stone, a trusted stone. And here's the scripture that describes the cornerstone that Isaiah laid in chapter 28, that God laid. One who trusts 
will not panic. That's it. That's the cornerstone of our faith. One who trusts will not panic. God will send us into some surprising circumstances and to some unwieldy situations, into times and moments and circumstances that seem like failure. But God keeps calling. And God will use us. Even though we be despised by the nations and abhorred, they will one day rise to their feet. They will kneel before Christ and they will say, What a mighty God they serve because those poor suckers could never have done it on their own. So, fail on with me, friends. Fret forward. Worry. Struggle. Argue. Tell God no. Tell him as loud as you can. See if that works for you for a while. But at the end of the day, God keeps calling, and God will have his way. Amen.